Great, and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us today for our COVID vaccine, vaccinations webinar, The Liability Dilemma for Businesses. My name is Jeffrey Mullen. I am the Assistant Vice President for External Relations at York College of Pennsylvania, and I am also the Vice Chair of the York County Economic Alliance's Board of Directors. With several approved COVID vaccines approved for use by the CDC, businesses are finding themselves in the middle of the debate on whether or not they should require their employees to be vaccinated. Concerns about numerous potential implications surrounding, surrounding vaccinations, such as requiring vaccinations, offering incentives to, employers to employees to get vaccinated, vaccine availability, personal beliefs about vaccinations and potential side effects, and risks of spreading COVID if employees are not vaccinated have businesses seeking answers. Today, we welcome a panel of expert presenters to join in a discussion about the COVID vaccine and potential liability businesses need to be prepared for regarding their requirement for employee vaccination. I would like to introduce our panelists for today's discussion. Mike Crozenzi, partner with Barley Snyder's law firm, Dr. Michael Spangler, Vice President of Medical Affairs at UPMC Memorial, and Kristen Pittman, North American Human Resources Business Partner at RHI Magnesita. In addition to being a partner with Barley Snyder, Mike is also a board member of the York Chapter of the Society of Human Resources Management, the SHRM or the SHRM. He works to solve problems for clients and he gives them peace of mind by doing so. Mike provides practical solutions and relentless focus on reaching the successful outcomes his clients desire. Dr. Spangler has been serving as Vice President of Medical Affairs at UPMC Memorial since 2019. He has been practicing internal medicine since 2003 and became a hospitalist in 2013, shift shifting his focus from outpatient care to inpatient inside the hospital. Kristen is a human resources business partner at RHI Magnesita, and it also is a past chair, past president, excuse me, of the York chapter of the SHRM. She has more than a decade of experience in global human resources management, including workforce development, labor relations, benefit strategy, workers' compensation, federal comp compliance, and HR strategy. To get us started for, from our, um, okay, excuse me, we have a few questions to kick off our discussion today, and we'll wrap up with some questions from our attendees. I'll pose the questions to one of our panelists, but ask the full panel to jump in and contribute. To get us started, let's talk about the vaccine itself. Dr. Spangler, can you tell us more about the vaccine, its development, how it works, and what the current availability is? And also, with so much in the news these days about the variants, can you talk to us a little bit about those that we're seeing and how do they have an impact on the vaccines and vice versa? Absolutely, thank you for having me, Jeff. Appreciate the introduction. Um, before starting specifically about the vaccines, I think we need to talk about what exactly this emergency use authorization is, that EUA that these vaccines are getting. Um, basically, in these situations, they decide that there's strong enough evidence out there that, that patients will benefit from treatment. And actually, most people don't know, but it was first enacted back in 2009. So this is, this is kind of new stuff that's happening. It was actually during H1N1 when uh, Tamiflu uh, was accepted to give, uh, to give babies uh, under, the, uh, under the determined age uh, that it normally came out as. 
Um, but as you'll notice, the vaccines are going through the same process at this point in time because they want to get vaccine out to the masses as quickly as possible. So on to the individual vaccines that we have. Um, the first one, the first one that came out was the Pfizer product. Um, this is a messenger RNA vaccine. Um, this is a novel way to give vaccines. Um, a lot of people have a whole bunch of different ideas and are, are scared about it. And I, I think we'll mention later that, that these vaccines went through a ton of trials. They've made sure that they're safe uh, in people and, and, and the whole deal. It may not have gone through the final FDA approval, uh, but it's gone through many, many people at this point in time and, and determined it was safe. But basically this, this little piece of RNA goes into a cell and what happens is the body actually makes a protein that makes it look very similar to the outside of the, of the coronavirus or the COVID virus. Then what happens is it puts it on the surface so that way your body's immunity can start establishing antibodies for that particular protein. So it's not any part of the protein or, or any part of the virus that you're actually given. Um, you might have heard that this particular Pfizer vaccine has to be kept at very cold temperatures. So that's one of the limitations that we have. It's given at two different doses, day one and day 21. Um, and its effectiveness is amazing at 95% effective, uh, which is unheard of for vaccines. The, the flu virus, for instance, you're down in the 40% category. So this is, this is a huge thing. Uh, Moderna was the second one that came out. Um, and Moderna is, is also an mRNA virus. Uh, or an mRNA um, uh, vaccine. Um, and the only real difference is it's a little less uh, temperature sensitive. Um, you give it a day one and 28. Uh, but again, they're hu seeing huge, uh, huge effectiveness with uh, about 94% effectiveness in, in literature. Then we need to talk about the new things that are coming. Um, Johnson & Johnson product is, is coming out very, very soon. Uh, this, is, this is a weakened adenovirus, uh, also called a recombinant vaccine. Uh, most people are familiar with the pneumococcal vaccine or the meningococcal vaccine. Um, so it's, it's, it's not a novel way to give, to give um, a vaccine uh, benefits. Uh, you only get one dose of this, which is, which is great. Um, efficacy is a little bit different. Um, to prevent severe disease, they're saying numbers like 85%. Um, and to moderate severe disease, they're talking maybe only about 66% effective. Um, but what they're saying is one of the biggest things we need to do is to prevent these severe states, to prevent those, those things that are actually causing mortality in our population um, and trying to reduce the severity of disease to either asymptomatic or just mildly symptomatic carrier states. Um, there's a whole bunch of data out there that I, I would entertain anybody. I can go through it at some other time. I can talk all for the whole hour, I think, if given the opportunity, but you don't want to hear me. Um, the last one that you're going to be hearing a lot of uh, coming up soon is the AstraZeneca product. Um, that's coming out. That's probably later in the year. This is also a weakened adenovirus. Um, they're finding efficacy rates that might be a little lower than some of the other ones. So, so it's coming, it's coming, but a little more delayed. Uh, this one is interesting because it can be standard refrigeration. So you don't have to keep it really cold and, and it won't break down the uh, vaccine. Um, a lot of people are asking about side effects from vaccine. Um, and it's, it's important to note, I, I've gotten both of mine. Um, and the biggest thing is, is local site tenderness. We get that with a lot of vaccines that we have. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not it maybe a little more, especially with the second dose, if you're in one of those, those dual products. Um, but most of the time it's localized pain, some muscle aches and pains. Some people have had some fevers that are rather impressive. But the big thing is you shouldn't get findings consistent with the coronavirus. Things like 
loss of smell, loss of taste, a cough. Those shouldn't happen with the vaccine itself. Um, the last thing I want to mention uh, is the um, new variants that are out. Uh, a lot of people are saying, my goodness, I go through the vaccine process and we're going to have a whole different virus that we're going to be playing with. So is the, vi is the vaccine going to be worthwhile for me to get in the first place? Um, the studies right now on the UK variant that's out there, or the United Kingdom variant, um, there, it's not enough of a change that we think that it's really going to alter the efficacy of the product. Um, you have to undergo massive changes of these viruses to really to really make a vaccine not not be efficacious for you. Um, now, the South Africa variant may be a little bit different. Like I said, they did some preliminary studies with the AstraZeneca product in South Africa, and it's it might not be might not be what we're looking for in that particular particular disease state. And the last one is the Brazil variant that's out there at this point. But like I said, that's kind of a, a, a basic a basic framework of all the vaccines that are you're going to be seeing over the next year or so or so. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Spangler, and, a, and a really a great segue um, when we're talking about uh, availability. And, and and Mike, you know, question for you when it pertains to the availability of the vaccines, how does that affect liability employee va for vaccinations? Uh, thanks again for having me on, Jeff. I appreciate it. Um, it does not directly affect liability, but the current short supply that we're experiencing in Pennsylvania and across the country um, has given employers time to determine if they should mandate the vaccine or not. Fair enough. So Kristen, as both an employer and with your uh, relationships through the association with other human resources professionals, what are the HR implications that you're seeing and hearing about and potential pitfalls of either mandating vaccinations or offering monetary compensation uh, or comp time incentive to employees for getting one? So there's two different questions here. The first one is on mandating a vaccine and it's asking yourself the question as a business is why are we mandating this vaccine or do we, do we think we should? Is it um, because you deal with the public, you have close contact that you can't limit less than six feet? Um, is it that you work in patient care or medical or, or do you have parts of your organization that travel globally or even statewide? These are all considerations that you should really be thinking about as to whether or not you're mandating the vaccine. It's also important to understand that when you decide if you want to move down that road, there are um, American with Disabilities Act referred to as the ADA implications that you need to be mindful of as well as a sincerely held medical belief that may give people um, exemptions from getting that vaccination and that you would need to honor them. So again, there's a whole lot more to that, but are just things that you should be thinking about. In addition to that, you need to remember if you mandated that vaccine workers comp varies by state to state. So it's important to recognize that in one state, if you have a mandated vaccine versus another state, um, you know, if someone has a side effect for any reason, you could be having a workers' comp liability in that. Now, um, also, even if you don't mandate the vaccine, but you strongly recommend it and you incentivize it, depending on the state, you could still be on the hook if someone um, has serious um, illness out of the vaccine. So it's just things to recognize that the true answer is we don't know what we don't know. But just make sure you're asking yourself. Also think about things on timeline. 
you know, if you're going to mandate it, what's your timeline? Because there is a short supply. You know, where do you fall in the 1B, 1A, 1C? Where do you fall? Where do all of your employees fall? Because my manufacturing group might fall here, but my accountant who's sitting at home right now may not really apply for that 1B uh, vaccination group. So just make sure you're thinking about that. Also be thinking about direct contracting with places like CVS or groups that you can, because the problem is that not the vaccine is going to be available in smaller supplies until there's more vaccines that hit the market. And so we just need to be super mindful on what we're requiring of people. The other side is that there's the, still the CICP, which is um, countermeasure injury um, compensation program as well that comes into it. But from, a, from the other side and kind of thinking about the monetary and comp side, here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing about people offering vacation days um, or time off in order to get the vaccine. Um, gift cards, a big raffle, like we're giving away a TV and all these people can go in for it. It's really important to understand that you have to be mindful of these things because there's still tax implications on if you give a gift card, if it's de minimis amount. The problem with this is that there are so many great things that we can do, but there are so many laws that limit even the things like um, the wellness. Um, you need to really know if you're going to give this um, as an incentive to all of your employees, even if they're not on your medical plan, it won't fall under the wellness incentive. But if you fall under um, the fact that you say, okay, only the employees on my exam or on my plan are the ones that I'm going to give incentive to, then you're, you're looking at some issues um, and you could be under the wellness rules under HIPAA. So the biggest thing that I can tell you is ask yourself why or why not are you mandating the vaccine? Understand what is your reasoning and educate, 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 and make sure it aligns with your business and your culture because that's what it's about. And then the second piece is if you're going to do any type of monetary benefit to that, make sure that you document what you're doing, the timeline in which it's going to be available, what are going to be eligibility requirements, and ultimately how are you going to handle those accommodations. That's some great information. Thank you, Kristen. So, Mike, I, I heard, um, you know, there's some legal legal implications in there uh, from from Kristen's response. Uh, what, what's your um, your take on on those legal um, implications when you're talking about mandating vaccine or offering monetary um, incentive? Sure, Jeff. Uh, I'm going to first talk about mandating the vaccines. As Dr. Span Spangler said, the vaccines have only been approved under an emergency use authorization. This is different than a normal and much longer approval process from the FDA. There is a persuasive legal argument that employers cannot mandate a vaccine approved under an emergency use authorization. However, we just don't have a definitive opinion yet from the federal government or from Pennsylvania or from other states. They have punted on this issue, sidestepped it, and therefore we have competing legal arguments on whether an employer can mandate a vaccine under an emergency use authorization. I'm hoping that as the vaccines um, ramp up uh, in terms of getting it out to the public, that the federal government and state government will provide some clarity on that issue. If an employer mandates the vaccine, uh, then as Kristen said, they need to accommodate employees who cannot safely receive the vaccine because of an underlying health issue. And also, as Kristen said, they have to respect an employee who has a sincerely held religious belief for refusing the vaccine. 
both of those situations are covered by federal law. The first is protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. The second regarding re religious exemption is covered by what we call Title VII. The EEOC, which uh, uh, governs both of those statutes, uh, recently published guidance on both the ADA and Title VII when it comes to mandating vaccines. Now turning to the incentives, um, incentives can be legal, as Kristen said, but the EEOC also issued guidance in uh, December of 2020 that an employer can only offer de minimis incentives to entice employees to join a wellness program. Now, we can debate whether uh, mandating a vaccine is considered a wellness program. Again, we don't have any definitive opinion yet from the EEOC on that issue. But um, the EEOC in its December guidance said that de minimis means a water bottle or a very uh, a gift card for a very small amount. Uh, I just don't think the Biden administration uh, that started in January 2021 will really enforce this guidance. I think they will allow employers to offer incentives. We have seen in the news a number of larger companies publish that they are offering incentives to their employees to uh, get the vaccine. I haven't seen any pushback from the federal government or any of the agencies uh, with the uh, rollout of these incentive packages from employers. So uh, I'm, I, I just don't believe the federal government or even the, frankly, the state governments are gonna step in. They wanna see people be vaccinated. That's their goal. And I think if they can allow employers to offer incentives to get people vaccinated, then I don't think they're gonna stand in their way. Great, that's good, great information. Dr. Spangler, you, you had mentioned earlier uh, in your opening remarks, the, um, the, the strong efficacy between Pfizer, Moderna, um, and that's terrific, uh, nothing short of a medical miracle, if you will. But I was hope, hoping you could talk a little bit about some of the myths versus the actual risks of taking vaccines. And I guess, you know, certainly, you know, we're talking about COVID, but vaccines in general, perhaps, and we can drill it down to the COVID vaccines. Um, I think, I think one of the things is no matter what medicine, no matter what vaccine comes out, there's people start talking, especially when it's, when it's brand new. Um, I've heard things from a microchip that, that, that lives in the, uh, in the vaccine that gets into a into a patient, uh, to my knowledge, no way. Um, to uh, one of the one of the hotbeds is female sterility um, involved with the mRNA vaccines, uh, and there's no evidence of this whatsoever either. Um, like I said, anything that's new, everybody gets a little paranoid about. And yes, it is new having these mRNA vaccines. The fact of the matter is, they've seen such amazing amazing numbers with efficacy. I think what you'll see is stemming from this, we're going to have more and more vaccines that are established this same way uh, to make it more efficacious as we go forward. Um, obviously, it's, it's, there, there are case studies with, with Bell's palsy, with some of these other things that, that can exist. Um, I know there's, there's multiple uh, things out there about autism and, and those kind of things with other vaccines that, that lie out there. But I got to be honest. I, I, I carry, a, 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 I guess, probably a unique, a unique standpoint on this, and the fact that I, I mean, I've, I'm taking care of patients in the hospital 
uh, those that are passing away from this disease process. And I mean, the aches and pains, the fevers, those kind of things that go along with the standard vaccine pales in comparison to what we're seeing inside the hospitals at this point in time. Yes, the numbers are going down, which is fantastic. Um, like I said, with this new wave of, of the variants that are coming through, we don't really know what that's going to do as far as the volumes. We know we're getting to a, a lull at this point in time, which is great, which is the perfect time to get those vaccine, vaccines done. Um, the one thing I do want to bring up, there are a couple myths about, about somebody who has had COVID and that I can't get the vaccine. That, that's not true. Uh, your body does establish some degree of immunity, a natural immunity when you're, when you're in with the, when you have COVID. Um, but there is good evidence that says that the, the natural immunity that you get it is not quite as strong as what you would get from a vaccine. So we're actually encouraging people that if you've had it tested positive before, that the vaccine is probably still a great idea to get. Now, the only time length issues that we need to be care careful of there's something called convalescent plasma that people have probably heard of that we do give um, occasionally. It was actually another one of those EUAs that are out there. Um, and that should be about 90 days from when you get your, your convalescent plasma to when you're, you're thinking about actually getting vaccinated. You still can get vaccinated, but keep in mind, you have those, those active uh, antibodies in there that, that could make the response to the vaccine a little more dramatic. And the second thing is um, monoclonal antibodies. That's another thing that's around I, as, as UPMC, we've given over 400 doses of this stuff and we've seen great, great improvements early on if it's caught. Um, but again, you have that 90 day window to, to actually get vaccinated. Um, but like I said, with, with the side effects and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in front of you talking real time um, as somebody who's gotten both of the doses of the vaccine, um, it is a, a little more than a typical influenza vaccine. Uh, but I have yet to see anybody that says it, it, they wouldn't do it again if given the opportunity. Outstanding. Um, Kristen, here's a question for you uh, related to human re resources. So can employers ask employees to provide evidence of vaccination? So let's remember that this answer is as of today. Okay, let's be super clear. So to Mike's point, the EEOC did come out and say that as an employer, we have the right to ask for this information. But it is really important that if you're keeping copies of this, again, going back to that basic HR, this belongs in a medical record, not somebody's personnel file. Okay, so it's really important that they stay very separate. But yes, as of today, let's be super clear that the EEOC could change this tomorrow. Um, but as of today, it's no, um, they have given us guidance that it is completely permissible. Good to know. Mike, so could employers be liable if they mandate vaccination and a serious reaction were to occur in that employee that received it? Sure. Uh, Kristen touched on this earlier. Uh, it, yes, uh, it's possible employers could be liable, but it's most likely going to be covered by workers' compensation insurance. Under almost all workers' comp statutes across the country, employers are not liable for pain, suffering, and punitive damages. Uh, you typically uh, have an employee get uh, replacement wage loss benefits and medical bills paid. And as Kristen uh, indicated earlier, each state has their own workers' compensation law. Each has their own different carve-outs and compensation systems. So if you do have plants or employees in different states, you got to be careful about how to interpret each one of those workers' compensation laws. 
Another question for you uh, regarding uh, liability. Would an employer have an exposure, a liability exposure, if they didn't get their entire staffs vaccinated or other employees or customers uh, were to get sick? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, if an employee can prove that he or she contracted COVID from another employee during the course and scope of their employment, then again, the employee may have a valid workers' compensation claim. OSHA, uh, that governs workplaces in this country, provides that employers have a duty to create a workplace free from recognized hazards that are causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm to employees. It's called our general duty clause in the OSHA regulations. In the last few weeks, OSHA has issued guidance to employers on how to keep employees safe from COVID at the work site. However, at this time, OSHA has not mandated vaccines for employees. As Kristen indicated earlier, um, this information is as good as 1228 p.m. today, because as we have seen throughout this uh, last 11 months, uh, things change very quickly with COVID and with how employers uh, need to react to it, and especially the government mandates and regulations and guidance that uh, tend to shift and turn depending on um, the COVID situation. Without a government mandate, I don't believe employers will be liable to employees other than, again, under a workers' compensation situation. I also don't believe employers will be liable to customers uh, if all employees aren't vaccinated. Again, there's no general duty for employers to require employees to get vaccinated. Now, my opinion could change if the government, either at the federal level, state level, or even local level, mandates employers to get their employees vaccinated, or if the vaccination rates at places of employment are so very high that it almost becomes normal or reasonable to have uh, your employees get vaccinated. Just like we see with masks, the plexiglass at our retail stores, social distancing, and the, the cleaning that we need to do daily in our places of employment. If the government mandates vaccines for employees, then uh, an employer may possibly be liable if they don't uh, comply with that mandate and somebody can prove that because of that violation of the mandate, they got COVID and got sick. Um, right now, we're not seeing very high percentages of the workforce getting vaccine, as we have mentioned, because we just don't have the supply at this point. The supply continues to ramp up. I even read this morning that Dr. Fauci believes that there will be enough supply in April or early May that um, Anybody who wants the vaccine should be able to sign up and start to get it. And we can, we can dispense with the, the high risk groups or healthcare workers that are at the front of the line at this point. Terrific. So um, Dr. Spangler, there's a lot of information out there. You've touched on it. You've touched on the science, you've touched on the myths um, and so forth. Is there a, an, a, a, a place um, where you would advise employers to go, where they're looking for authoritative information, you know, where the facts are that can help educate themselves and educate their employees uh, that may have questions, right? I mean, this is like, we've, we've learned, this has been a moving target for 11 months and there's a lot of information out there. Is there an area where you would recommend folks go to get the best? 
information? Yep, absolutely. Uh, great question. And, and there's so much just with as much good information that's out there, there's a lot of bad information out there as well. So that's important to, to get to those sites that actually have legitimate science-based information on them. But um, both of the both of the large healthcare organizations that are here in 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 York uh, have great FAQs and and information regarding COVID. And I would refer you to either one of those. Obviously, me being part of UPMC, UPMC.com/COVID19 has a ton of resources on it and it's updated updated quicker just like you said as of 12 32 p.m today um we have that but it could be updated 10 minutes from now or five minutes from now for that matter um the other thing is the pa department of health um uh, website as well as the cdc we get all our information straight from the cdc um and that gets updated on a regular basis sometimes you can get really kind of buried in the in the in the medical side of it um so that could be an issue um, so in those situations, what I would say is, I mean, the healthcare systems have people available that can answer questions. Um, like I said, the reason of doing this today is, is we talk to our people ad nauseum uh, here in the hospital from, from housekeepers to doctors to everybody else. And, and, and I, like I said, I'm not lying when I can talk hours on this, on this topic. Um, but the information's there. All you need to do is ask. And, and like I said, you ask UPMC, you ask WellSpan, we would be more than happy to come out to, to talk or to set up one of these type of meetings if, if anybody has a huge amount of questions or a whole lot of concerns that are out there because the, the, the healthy population is the well-informed population. You want people to make the decision based because this is what they feel like they need to do. And let's be honest, if, if, we're, if, we're, tired, if we're tired of doing all those things that, that keep us from acting normal these days, Vaccination is part of the answer to this. Um, and I just, I, I just want to kind of circle back one, to one of my previous questions. Uh, one of those other myths that are out there is once I'm vaccinated, I can't get COVID. Um, and that, that's not true. Like I said, the efficacy numbers that I'm giving you, 95% effective is great, but there still is 5% that, that will not establish that immunity. So you still can get COVID in spite of being vaccinated. Um, just like influenza, just like all of these disease disease states that we vaccinate for. Um, so just to make sure that that's clear, but the, the best way, even once vaccinated, is we need to continue to do those things that have gotten us this far. Number one, we need to continue to, to mask as we're doing right now. It's, it's, it's not comfortable for a lot of people, but I think we've done a really good job at, at, at changing the way we do things to actually live with a with a mask at times, and and it's becoming easier to talk and 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 to breathe with the, the mask on. Uh, and the other thing is hand washing. Um, I mean, a lot of people come up to me and say, "Hey, you know what? This is great. Influenza is not around. Well, why why are we not seeing influenza cases like we do typically this time of the year? That's because we're doing right now the things that prevent influenza spread in the first place. Um, yes, we haven't done masking in the past, but but staying away from people that are infected, washing our hands if, if we're if before we're eaten and all that kind of stuff is so vital to prevent disease spread of any kind. So, like I said, I, I actually talked to um, to some of my employees here at the hospital the other day that said I wouldn't be surprised, assuming that the fact that this COVID thing is in our rearview mirror at some point in time, that some of these things come back uh, habitually during influenza season where we start saying, hey, you know what, get your mask back out, start washing your hands again, because We've proven that we can keep these numbers at bay. Uh, and we actually saw this in the Southern Hemisphere coming that where we weren't going to have quite as many. And one of the concerns we have is the 
as we vaccinate more and more people, that they become complacent when it comes to wearing the masks and hand washing, where we might see things change. So that's kind of a long way to answer that question. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, doctor. So, Kristen, that, that's a, an interesting segue. So the information is out there, right? And do you have any examples of how you and your role are disseminating that information to your employees, if it's presentations or handouts or, or seminars or the like, I was wondering if you could shed some light on how you might be doing those things. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of echo what, what both of my colleagues have said is let's remember that the CDC is a bit overwhelming for the average person. I agree that when a medical person goes out there, they're going to be able to understand it a whole lot more than me. And I find myself mining for a lot of information in a really short period of time, but it's great information. So I really do use UPMC and WellSpan, um, at their websites, because they have dumbed it down for me. <laughs> and they have a lot of great things that I can use, right? But the words that I use is educate, 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 because People talk and what is really going on versus the actual truth. I, I mean, if you've ever sat in any type of employee issue, you know that there's three sides, the two people and the truth. And it's not because somebody wants to lie. It's because things just keep snowballing. And that's the same when we're talking about the COVID vaccine and the, you know, well, did you hear this person had a stroke because I had the COVID vaccine? Well, maybe the person was overweight for the last five years and had a bad heart. And, you know, the point is that there's other things that you hear. And so I would just say, go back to science. So I use both of um, both um, providers' websites. I also make my broker and my insurance provider do the work for me. Um, we have strong relationships with our, with our um, counterparts and we ask them, hey, what do you know? What kind of information can you provide us? Because when it's, it's with these larger healthcare providers, they have some, some uh, standing, right? People find them to be reputable. And so when they're telling them things, people listen. So we utilize a lot of those type of um, things. We also use SHRM. I'm going to totally plug SHRM National because I believe it's got a lot of great information. I actually get an email every day. Almost every other day, there's something on there about the COVID EEOC guidance, um, Department of Labor, FFCRA, CARES Act, you name it, there's something on there. So it's just really important that you have things at your fingertips. And if you're not sure, seek legal advice, seek your network, seek, seek an HR person that you know, because if nothing else, I find that they are a good counterbalance to have the right conversations because the internet sometimes can just be a big bottle of you don't know what you're getting. And so being able to go to reputable people, reputable sites, and they're going to get you the right thing for that time. But let's also remember, if you're pulling something from end of last year, it's going to be out of date. Science is evolving every single day. And I can tell you the conversation I had about the vaccine a month ago is now completely out of date compared to today. So just remember that you're going to have to continue that evolution as you walk through this process with your, with your business. Great. So we've got some some terrific resources right here locally. You're tapped into your national association. This is wonderful stuff. So, uh, Chris, another question for you. So Dr. Spangler had mentioned um, the, the mask wearing, washing hands, distancing, keeping our influenza numbers really kind of small right now. How, how does, you know, the approach we have here with this novel coronavirus differ from, say, the approach you've taken as an employer when it comes to the annual flu season? How, does, how, does, how do you see this comparing and contrasting? 
So let's remember that in general, while we nobody wants to entertain the conversation, we are still in a world of um, political beliefs. Okay, and you cannot undermine that in your decision making process. And the reason I bring that up is because some people believe it's an infringement upon their right to be masked. Right or wrong, some people believe it, some people don't. It, it doesn't matter where you sit, but what you need to understand is it is, a, it is a personal belief system, right? And we're still dealing with people. So as we talk about these things, you know, if you don't mandate the flu vaccine, why are you mandating COVID? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying you need to have that answer as you enter your conversations with the rest of your um, employees and your business, right? The other thing is you need to be looking at, as you're looking at best practices, staggering vaccines, even if you're not going to mandate, even if you're just going to recommend it, right? But let's say you're helping your employees. How many of your employees actually have access to a computer? How many of your employees know how to properly use a computer? Are they signing up online? Are they not signing up online? Because those could even be things that are running into issues as you're walking through this process. Um, the other thing that I've, I've heard a lot is educate your employee population, but educate them not just about COVID. Let's educate them about the flu, right? Because you hear that, well, the flu wasn't really real either. It's now gone because everything's just being turned to COVID. Well, to Dr. Spangler's point, these are things we need to be pointing out to our general populations and really educating people on how we move forward. But again, it's communication and it's listening. So that's the other thing. You might think you have it all figured out, but if you aren't listening to the feedback that you're getting from your employee population and then addressing that genuinely, then you're missing the boat on the real part of this, which is, is you know, listening and communicating. Great information, Kristen, thank you. And so Dr. Spangler, you'd mentioned, you know, the great Efficacy, we're seeing 95%, but there's still there's that 5% gap. We've also, obviously, you know, through Chris McChristen's uh, remarks and some of your own, we know that there's going to be a segment of the population that are not going to become vaccinated. So can you talk to, we've heard a lot about it. The term gets thrown around herd immunity. How, uh, how do we get there and what exactly does that mean? Yeah, one of my favorite topics, uh, because originally, before we even had vaccines, when the when the virus was coming through, everybody was saying maybe we can rely just on herd immunity and not have not have to worry about that vaccine being developed in the first place. Um, but first of all, we need to actually have that definition. And really, what it says is when there's been enough exposure to the virus in the community that you now have most of people have established their own innate uh, immunity to the disease. Now, whether that's by um, by natural immunity or whether that's through vaccination. Um, the interesting thing here is there's something called a threshold proportion, which actually says what is that number needed in order to make herd immunity actually occur. And where we get here is the more contagious a disease process is, the higher the proportion has to be. Now, let me give you something that, that people are probably more familiar with, the measles, which is actually one of the most virulent things that are out there their proportion or their threshold proportion is 94%. So you have to have 94% of people actually establish primary immunity by, by getting the disease in the first place or by vaccination in order to establish herd immunity at that point in time. Now, picture, we're not saying that COVID is the measles. It, it's not, but we are saying that it's significantly easier to transmit than, than is influenza. So we need to have probably upwards well into the 80% plus category to actually even initiate herd immunity. Now, the other thing that's tricky with this particular virus is we have so many people that are going asymptomatic 
uh, and actually have it. So how do we actually quantitate what that number really is? How many people have been exposed? How many people have tested positive versus how many people uh, have had it and don't have any idea? Um, and that's a real tricky thing to figure out. And how do you bridge that gap through vaccination? Um, one of the things that we can do and we will do and we are doing is you keep a vaccine record on anybody that gets this stuff. You don't do it willy nilly. You make sure that that you know who got it and who didn't get it. And we can keep track of that population. So, yes, we have a subset that have had mild disease. Yes, we've had a huge subset with very severe disease and unfortunately have lost people because of this process. But if we want to really establish herd immunity, it's a combination of natural and vaccinated immunity that has to happen. And when we're talking 80, pushing 90% of the population, those are huge, huge numbers. Now, bear in mind, and, and one of the things that, that I heard a little bit ago, and I just want to dovetail on, is when we talk about opening it up, opening the vaccine up to everybody, uh, keep in mind when we, when we laxed it out a little bit and said, okay, well, anybody who's obese, anybody who smokes can be pay, placed into this higher category that can get it now, it doesn't mean anything unless we have the vaccine available to actually administer it or having those people that can actually administer the vaccine to you. So there's, there's a couple things in there that we need to be careful of. Um, and I know some of, the, some of the health systems will be very critical in how everybody does it because everybody does it slightly different. Um, but you need to be careful that you, you do it in a very, very thought out methodical way to make sure that one, everybody that needs it, that you're hitting those high risk populations first. Um, I mean, I, I, I acknowledge the fact that, hey, you know what, just because I'm, I'm obese, I might be able to move myself up that line. But at the same time, you have that 75, 80 year old mother that's, that's sitting there at home that is not only susceptible to the disease, but in that population that dies at a, at a steady, steady pace or, or at a higher pace than others. So I think we also not only need to identify that, yes, it's available for everybody, but we still need to be good stewards and say, there probably still needs to be some kind of internal pecking order that says, hey, you know what, this is the bottom line. I, I practice every day with my mask on. I, yes, I wear a variety of different masks depending on the patient population, but we have, we have had zero transmission between a very sick patient wearing a mask and me wearing a mask to each other. Um, and that's the bottom line. Masking is still the single most important way that till we get the vaccination, till we establish herd immunity to keep everybody safe. Thank you very much. So uh, switching gears a little bit, and we don't wanna to go too far down this path because it could be its own separate webinar, but we know that many businesses have a public component to consider. We all have frontline uh, employees, whether it's in hospitality, professional networking, sales folks, business to business. There are instances where our employees, your employees will come in contact with others outside of your organization. So Mike, you know, what is the liability of having your employees engage uh, with others in their role for your company uh, and their vaccination status? Is there a, a, a relationship that should occur there? Right, thanks. Um, as I mentioned earlier, right now, I don't see employers being liable because there is no government mandate. We're in the early stages of the vaccination rollout and the percentage of vaccinated, vaccinated employees is still uh, uh, relatively low. Um, also, we don't know yet uh, whether the vaccines will stop the transmission of the virus. And maybe we can have Dr. Spangler comment on that. 
So I think Pfizer's doing some studies now to determine if their vaccine will actually stop or significantly uh, stop or impair the ability for the virus to be transmitted from me who has COVID to another person. Um, I, I think it's also gonna depend on the status of a particular industry and, and what the federal, state and local governments do. So let's assume that the vaccine stops or significantly reduces transmission of COVID. And let's also assume in the hospitality industry becomes standard for all or almost all employees to be vaccinated. That's just the way it's evolved in that particular industry. An employer could be liable if it allows an unvaccinated infected employee to interact with the public or uh, and, and members of the public get COVID. Uh, it might be a difficult thing to prove, but it's possible. Um, so again, we just have to see how it develops over time. Um, on the flip side of that, employers could also be liable if they deny employment or a promotion to a person who can't get vaccinated because of a disability, or they have a very sincere uh, religious belief about getting and not getting the vaccine. So it's gonna be difficult for employers to manage this in the future if these hypotheticals I just gave you become reality. Uh, as we have been uh, mentioning throughout this webinar, employers just continue, have to be uh, vigilant and continue to be educated on what's happening out there. Um, the news has been, I, I think, pretty good about reporting on major events. So I believe if any government mandates vaccines, that's going to hit the front pages very quickly and the employers should then be checking with legal counsel and other resources to see what the next step is going to be. Great, and, and Kristen, on that same thread, how do you foresee uh, employees handling those scenarios that I pose to Mike if they're, they are in uh, externally facing roles and situations inside of their, their job duties? People are still people and they have belief systems and they're, they have a right to those belief systems. And there's a lot of jobs available out there, believe it or not. I, I mean, I know I hear a lot that there isn't, but if you work in healthcare, you work in manufacturing, right now you can find a job. Um, so I would say that depending on what the person's belief system is, it, they have to figure out where they stand. And we as employers, we need to understand that people can have a difference of opinion than us, right? And we're doing the best, but just continuing to promote, you know, I'd love to be able to get rid of these masks. I'd love for my employees not to be having masks on in 90 degree temperatures in a, in a very hot area. But unfortunately, it's the world we're in right now. And we're going to do our best to keep them as healthy as we can, make sure we're maintaining the social distancing. Um, lunch tables are spread out. So my comment is, we also have to help them. Even as they become complacent, we have to make sure we're helping them and reminding them because they wanna go home okay. And that also goes back to that whole internal transmission versus external transmission. Everyone has a right to their belief system and we just need to be mindful of that because they won't always align. And Mike was right. We don't know what we don't know. It will evolve. It might be different 30 minutes from now, but, um, but we just have to respect beliefs, continue to follow the process that we're in and hope that we're coming out on the other side of this. That's outstanding. So um, we're just about right on time. Um, so we do have a few minutes before uh, our hour and we're gonna wrap up, uh, but we do have a handful of questions that have come in from attendees. 
and uh, we can probably address a few of them. A couple of them, I think, have been kind of organically addressed through the conversation, but we had a great, uh, I thought, robust conversation about the resources that are available to employers and employees uh, locally through our um, two uh, fantastic health systems here, uh, Wellspan and UPMC. Um, I mean, and Mike and, and perhaps Kristen, can you think of, or do you know of a, uh, a resource that exists that speaks directly to the legal aspects, not necessarily maybe the health side of things? Of course, Kristen, you had mentioned SHRM, but for say uh, generalists or smaller in businesses, is there a place where they might be able to go? Or maybe that's something that, you know, perhaps it's the York County Economic Alliance. I, but I pose that question to you if, you if you know of a resource that exists. Uh, from the legal standpoint, I know our firm has been diligent about putting out client alerts when things change. I believe other law firms have been doing the same thing. Um, uh, again, the internet, even though it's full of all kinds of strange and bogus information at times, um, there are some reputable legal websites that do keep up with the legal implications of what's happening. Uh, as well as your, your national news services uh, tend to report on at least the headline items that are happening with COVID. Yeah, I, I agree with what Mike's saying. The other thing is, you know, find your niche, whether it's YCEA, whether it's a local chapter, like we have a local chapter of Yorkshire that Mike and I both sit on the board for. There's all these different resources, but the best resource you really have is each other, right? Because if you're caught with something and you get an e you you look at the internet and you're like, this can't be real. It's amazing how many people are going through the exact same thing you are. And if you don't have a connection, they might have one. And I will say it's the best resource that I have that I have been able to reach out to our uh, local medical providers and say, at one point I was asking questions about the vaccination of roughly a month and a half ago asking very detailed, in-depth questions. And and I didn't even know what I didn't know <laughs> until I got on the phone. I was like, oh, that is way over my head. So just recognize that our networks and the people that we have around us, they have a really great network of people you can, can connect with. And that is probably the best way outside of just the internet. Terrific. Thank you so much. So here's a question. Maybe this is Kristen, maybe this is Mike or a variation of the two of you. So are you seeing an uptick in workers' compensation claims being filed for employees that believe that they contracted the COVID uh, virus at their place of work or while conducting their business? Are you seeing any of that in your in your day-to-day -day operations? So I can start with this one. Um, I can tell you that um, we've been in contact with our workers' comp carrier. They are not seeing an uptick. What they are seeing is that there's three criteria that need to be met for the OSHA log. That doesn't mean those same criteria need to be met for workers' comp, though, because remember, every single state is different. So you have two different things. You have the OSHA or MSHA, depending on which regulation industry you're in, um, and then you have the workers' comp component. What I can tell you is that the workers' comp component, it's really looking at those things about how it did the person seek medical assistance. Can you prove that they there was an internal um, contamination of some kind? You know, if you have an entire department that goes out all at the same time and they work within six feet, my first question is going to be why? 
right? Why as an employer, didn't you do more to keep your employees safe? Now, if your employees aren't following the rules, then that's a performance and employee relations issue. So that's where that constant conversation, not becoming complacent becomes so critical. Um, but I will say, I haven't necessarily see a rise for reputable employers that are trying to do the right thing. Not that it won't happen. It will happen because somebody's going to slip up. We're all human. But I do think we can do our best. And I haven't, I actually just talked to my workers comp carrier about this last week, and they were not seeing a, a huge intake, intake in, in COVID claims. Mike? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing the, the uh, same thing from the Pennsylvania workers compensation uh, system. They're not seeing a huge number of cases being filed. I think they're difficult to prove because we have such community spread. How is an employee able to prove that he or she got it at work when you could get it just as easily going to the grocery store or uh, wherever in the, in the community. I would say, as, as Kristen said, keep your eye on OSHA. Uh, the Biden administration has, has done a 180 degree turn on what they want to do with OSHA. The Trump administration was pretty much hands off, but the Biden administration has already started to ramp up uh, the OSHA enforcement they started with this guidance, which isn't mandatory or, or legal, but that's just one step to OSHA mandating certain things happening in the workplace. That's great. And so uh, with that, I think that's a pretty good place for us to, to, to wrap up a bit. So we're closing in on the hour and we would be truly remiss if we didn't thank our, our great panelists here today uh, joining us again, we have uh, Mike Crozenzi uh, from Barley Snyder, Karen Pittman from RHI Magnesita, and Dr. Michael Spangler uh, from UPMC Memorial, really uh, providing thoughtful, insightful information on this delicate, continually, e continually evolving uh, dilemma for our uh, employers here in our region. I'd also like to thank each of our attendees for joining us today. And as a reminder, a recording of today's webinar will be posted later today on the York County Economic Alliance's Vimeo site and on preparedyork.com, which is a fantastic resource for uh, all of our members and uh, York County businesses to, to frequent for uh, up-to-date information. Please continue to visit the Prepared York website for additional information, updates on vaccinations, COVID guidelines, resources for businesses, and our journey to a normal life please. I hope you will also join us Tuesday, February 16th at 9 a.m. for another webinar, this one featuring Kevin Schreiber, our president and CEO, and Silas Chamberlain, our vice president, uh, Lisa Riggs, and Naomi Young from the EDC in Lancaster County, as they discuss the economic intel for your county from reports and surveys that focused on employment, business health, consumer outlook and demand, and national and state GDP. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you so much.